The following podcast may contain sensitive topics like depression, suicide, sexual assault, and violence. Please make sure to listen with discretion, and if you or anyone you know is experiencing these things, please contact a professional. Links will be given in the podcast description. Don't worry, I am border fine. Border fine. I know no one's thinking it. No one may have noticed, but for me, I'm holding myself accountable. I missed posting yesterday. I had every intention of doing it, but I've had a stressful work week and I decided I'm not going to risk my sleep or mental health and I decided not to record. So here we are today. It's Friday, the Friday before a three day holiday weekend. I hope for most of you. My cats are in full zoomies right now. It is the bewitching hour for them. So hopefully I'll be able to reduce that noise in the background in post. But today's podcast um, is going to be a little bit different. I have felt a little self-indulgent by expressing my experiences and talking about myself. I wanted to open this up and be able to share other people's experiences. And so... Let me tell you today, I'm border fine. I'm getting through all the things that I need to prepare before uh, school starts again for me on Tuesday. Um, I don't have traditional school going on. I'm in the tail end of my doctorate. So this is just the next year is writing my dissertation proposal, um, having a board review and edit and then submit for publishing. So that has been kind of um, weighing on my mind as I am going to be kicking it back into research mode and writing mode. So pray for me or send me positive thoughts, whatever you choose to do. Um, But like I said, today is going to be a little bit different. I am going to be sharing some stories. I pulled these from Hartford Healthcare Institute of Living. The authors of these stories are anonymous besides first names. So that is about as much credit that I can give. Um, But I just wanted to share these because I think it's important to hear other stories, success stories and struggles, uh, even with some disorders that I don't myself battle with. But there are obviously a wide variety of things that it can impact and inflict, um, be inflicted on your mental health. So... I will start first with Natalie's story. For more than a decade, 34-year-old Natalie of Cheshire lived in a state of upheaval. The mother of two was diagnosed with manic depression when she was just 24 years old and was hospitalized numerous times over the next several years for severe depression. Looking back, I realize I never really had a fair chance of recovering from my mood disorder because I was suffering from another illness, alcoholism. So from 1997 until August 2002, Natalie continued drinking, completely unaware of the effects alcohol was having on her emotional well-being. She stated, when I was first diagnosed as manic depressive, the doctors at the hospital said I should stop drinking. My only response was to think, surely they can't mean wine. I drink in order to suppress the negative feelings of mania and depression. The more I drink, 
the sicker I became. Yet I would not address my alcohol problem because alcohol become my best friend. Unfortunately, her best friend was interfering with Natalie's ability to care for her family. One day after drinking heavily, she passed out on our kitchen floor. When her husband came home from work, he found their toddler son crying hysterically trying to wake up his mommy. My husband was devastated, she said. He told me that unless I got help for my addiction, he was going to leave me and take the children. The ultimatum worked. Natalie didn't want to lose her family and decided once and for all to better her mood disorder and her alcoholism. In June 2004, Natalie entered Rushford's Intensive Outpatient Program for Adults, suffering from mental health and addiction disorders, and immediately stopped drinking. For Natalie, giving up alcohol was only part of the solution. For me, working with counselors who understand my mood disorder as well as my addiction disorder has been key to my recovery. Natalie has not seen the inside of a hospital in more than two years. She's not drinking and feels the support of a program designed to help people suffering with dual disorders made all the difference in improving her mental health. Her family has begun to heal from the emotional wounds that mental illness and addiction often cause. My husband has been tremendously supportive of me throughout the recovery process. I understand now how my illness was hurting him and our children, and I never want that to happen again. Natalie recommends that people suffering from mental illness seek help. Total abstinence from alcohol and understanding of my illness has greatly improved my mood swings and ability to lead a normal life. I couldn't have accomplished any of this without the professional help I received at Rushford. So let's dive into this a little bit, the success story. There are going to be a lot of components and the story is supposed to be succinct to understand how it improved her life. But there are going to be things along the way for Natalie. Uh, She is going to be considered a recovering alcoholic. So she's in active recovery. She works a particular program, I'm sure. A lot of people are aware of the 12-step program, but there are other programs too that are based on different ideologies. But most of them focus on the need to constantly keep up your mental health. That is the biggest impact that you can have on sustaining a long-term positive effect. And these stories are going to have really nice, tidy endings and outcomes. But what we don't see is that person is going to be forever making sure and making it a priority to keep up with themselves. The same way A person would have to continue physical therapy after an injury or if someone had to um, work on uh, after back surgery, going to a chiropractor. There are a lot of components about mental health that we can derive from how we have supported ourselves physically in the past and our mental health is just important. So that's kind of... A caveat that I wanted to add um, to that story is for anyone who is feeling like they are battling any type of substance addiction, um, that it's important to know that you can seek out multiple or dual or sometimes even triple or however many disorders you can seek out therapies and treatments that will work with both. Because most of the time in order to succeed, if you only try to treat one underlying cause, other other coping mechanisms can bubble up that may not be healthy and those need to be addressed as well too. Next, we have David's story. David is a 65-year-old grandfather from Meriden 
whose life has been filled with a lot more downs than ups. The low point came in 1994, when the former construction company owner attempted suicide. David's problems began in 1967, when he suffered a series of devastating blows. First, his father was killed in a head-on collision after drinking and driving. A short time later, David's wife filed for divorce. Soon, David found himself without a job or a home, and it was then that his lifelong struggle with mental illness began. For the next 20-plus years, David spent his life in and out of institutions, addiction to alcohol, and dealing with paranoia and depression. By 1994, he decided he just couldn't handle life anymore. One night, he swallowed a fistful of sleeping pills and laid down on his bed, thinking he would never wake up again. Fortunately, he woke an hour later with fierce determination to live. After racing to the emergency room and undergoing an excruciating stomach pumping, David was determined to change his life for the better. In January 1995, he began receiving outpatient therapy at Rushford, then Mid-State Behavioral Health, for substance abuse and mental health. He also joined a club that he believes saved his life. He stated, if it wasn't for the Friendship Club, I would probably be dead. Rushford's Friendship Club is a member-governed program that provides long-term support to persons with mental health disabilities. The program is designed to enrich, empower, and encourage individuals to develop work, daily living, and social skills so they can be successful living independently. David is extremely active in the club. He holds a job in the kitchen helping prepare meals for club members and is a catcher for the Friendship Flyers, the club's softball team. He says that the Friendship Club provides him a real sense of accomplishment, more importantly, something to look forward to each day. I feel blessed to be a part of this club. It has made all the difference in my life. A theme that we're seeing is the amount of effort it takes to invest in your mental health. He found great opportunities by seeking help for his um, issues, his addiction and his mental health after making a suicide attempt. And there are a lot of harsh nitty gritty details about what happens to you after you commit suicide and the institutions and how they are run how you are treated. So of course, this is a more flowery description, but the important part is him realizing that after seeking treatment for his initial um, symptoms, he has continued to keep himself active and involved in programs that will stimulate him that will empower him, and that will also greatly positively impact his behaviors, his thought process, and how he feels about himself. Not everyone is going to have access to these types of treatments, these clubs, and that's why it's really important to ground yourself with a support system. And sometimes we don't have that support system within our family or our friends. A support system can be finding therapists and people who you trust, and then like working these programs and finding other people that are around you, bolstering that community with those that you trust. And you will eventually be able to develop a good support system. So when you are not always positive, not always on your A game, you have the ability to both express and to listen to people's stories and to reflect and have that introspection that helps you drive and make decisions that will empower you. That is so important. Finally, we will move to Serena's story. 
22-year-old Serena of Cromwell spent much of her childhood shuffled among foster homes. Her father died of a drug overdose when she was only five, and her mother was unable to care for her. For many years, Serena said she truly believed that she would never accomplish anything in her life. She dropped out of school during her junior year and ran away from what would turn out to be her last foster home. In 2003, Serena's grandmother agreed to take her in and immediately began giving her the love and attention she needed to rebuild her self-esteem. With her grandmother's encouragement, it wasn't long before Serena started believing in herself. She soon began dreaming about going to college. However, she knew that the first step in realizing her dream was graduating from high school. In 2004, Serena enrolled in Rushford's Alternative Youth School in Middleton, a program held in collaboration with Middleton High School to help students who have had difficulties achieving success in a traditional school setting. In June, Serena completed the program and received her high school diploma. She credits her grandmother and the staff of the alternative school for helping her achieve what she once believed was impossible. In September, Serena will begin living her dream when she starts classes at Central Connecticut State University. I think all along, I just needed people to believe in me so I can believe in myself. It's wonderful now to feel like my life can be anything I want it to be. So what Serena struggled with is a little more ambiguous, but what we can determine is that her trauma and PTSD impacted her ability to learn in a normal school setting. Though I don't think it's necessarily uh, diagnosed as a learning disability, I, it's important to understand that traumatic events in children's lives can absolutely impact their ability to be in a quote-unquote normal setting. And that can be as a result of stimuli. If they have trauma with past abusers that were male versus female, it can impact their relationship with their teachers. If there isn't uh, specification or parameters to be able to accommodate for that in a normal school. And it can lead to having actual developmental issues because when you have trauma in your young life, it kind of puts a stopper, like a bookmark in your growth and your ability to develop skills because instinctually you are learning and developing these habits in order to survive in a traumatic lifestyle. And the things that are conducive for developing cognitively and learning things in school, those aren't necessary for survival. So your body kind of puts a block up. And when those things happen, you can see, you know, stunted learning in children and to have programs that incorporate and understand that more so than just a diagnosed learning disability, that you can have uh, learning caps and you can have um, stunted learning issues that they can derive from other things that are related to mental health or past experience. So it's pretty powerful that there are people who dedicate and create an environment that will foster these children who have been through so much to make sure and ensure that they are successful. And success isn't always just measured by ACT scores, testing, uh, and, and homework. Success can also be measured by the ability to grow and acquire new skills and to verbalize those and to show its impact on the decisions that you make and having that youth center that Serena went to is pretty 
helpful in those scenarios and can be helpful um, in a lot of places if we consider just how much mental health can impact one's ability to do good um, in conventional situations. So these stories obviously differ from mine and from my journey. And I want to tie some of this together into what I currently am doing to maintain my mental health. I see a counselor for therapy and I also have a psychiatrist. My counselor is someone that I talk to about the things that are affecting me. I tell them how it impacts my life. We discuss my triggers, scenarios that have caused these outbursts or these issues that I'm having, the root cause of a particular panic or anxiety attack. And we just talk those out. We utilize my current skills that I'm working on to help me figure and process. And that is important so that as I continue to identify and vocalize these things, that I can make it a habit to recognize them easier, to modify my behavior, and to make positive changes so those reactions or decisions that I make are going to be beneficial to myself and not as impulsive or reactionary. When you have things that aren't, when you have behaviors, actions, or words that are done without thought, you can hurt other people, but you can also regress and not make strides because you're no longer being conscious of how you are, um, how you are reacting to those things. And my psychiatrist is more from a symptomatic perspective. He is checking in to see how my therapy is going. If I'm seeing improvement, is my medication that I am on still working? Does it need to be tweaked even though I am utilizing therapy and improving my thought process? Am I still experiencing things that I feel that are out of my control or cannot be changed or I don't see an impact? So my psychiatrist is able to diagnose and prescribe. So we work in those measures to be able to understand if anything needs to be changed or if it's actually creating a positive change for myself and helping me live with my disorders. I take medicine for my ADHD and I take medicine for my depression. Those aren't the only two disorders I have. However, this combination that we have found, there is always going to be properties of medication that can help and aid with multiple symptoms and disorders. So we have found that a lot of my OCD and anxiety tendencies are helped through the ADHD medication and that the manic or depressive feelings that I have are helped with the SSRIs that I take. So... That's been a combination that we've tweaked with dosage, and we have worked through many different types of antidepressants. There are some that are not going to work well with ADHD medication, but because the ADHD is a source of most of my day-to-day anxiety and problems, that is the one I want to work around finding an antidepressant that works with that medication because I I have learned through process of elimination and trial and error with my therapists and my psychiatrists that most of my problems with my disorder are positively impact with ADHD medication. So we know that that is important for me to find, to have consistency. And I've been, I've taken, you know, five different antidepressants to find the winning combination. And what I'm on is currently working. There is tolerance, um, 
tolerance issues that you can have. And so it's always good to constantly be aware of significant changes in your mood, even when you are consistently taking medicine. That is the important part. You cannot blame the medicine if you are not consistently taking it, which is such an uphill battle when you have ADHD and you forget if you've taken something or not. Um, So I have a system that I worked out uh, in order to ensure that I do, but that is part of my process. Uh, what a crazy vicious cycle that is to have a disorder that (laughs) impacts your ability to remember if you take your medication. Um, so, but that has kind of been my current process as an adult. I wasn't always on medication. That was not something that was, that I utilized as in order to cope and to help me work through. I thankfully don't have any substance, uh, addictions. I do struggle with an eating, um, I wouldn't say addiction. There, there's an obsession with how I eat and what I eat that I have and my mood can drastically impact that. So that is something that I work through daily. That is something that has not been a, a topic, a forefront topic for me and is something that is now being considered in my therapy is how I handle and manage food intake. Um, but it hasn't impacted my life enough that I have had a need for concern, but it is something that manifests when there are parts of my mental health that are lacking. So that has kind of been my process and my experience in the journey. That is pretty much how I wanted to tie together um, the importance of therapy and constantly maintaining it because it can ebb and flow and your progress can become stagnant. You can regress. It's part of the process. It's not going to be a easy downhill trajectory. Once you get diagnosed and medicated, you are constantly going to have um, dips and you're going to have to fight your way and climb back way up that hill. Sometimes it's an easier battle and other days it's harder, but I don't let that impact my overall progress. I don't view failures for a particular day or how I reacted to a certain situation as something that completely negates the progress that I have made. And that has been hard for me in the past because I sometimes work or I, my mind works very literally and in totalities, it's either all or nothing. I sometimes struggle with gray areas and understanding that there are going to be days that are in the gray area, but also again, working on that with my therapist to improve how I view myself, you know, on a day-to-day basis and largely as a whole. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I appreciate everyone who has been so supportive of me. I really did not expect everyone to like this so much, and nor do I expect anyone to continue listening or to like every episode that I put out or be able to relate to it. But the fact that I have friends and family who are listening and have felt the need to give me positive reinforcement, thank you so much. So make sure that you take care of yourselves and rest this weekend. Have a good long weekend. And I cannot wait until next week when I get to talk to you all again. Have a good one. Bye.